This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. John chapter 1, verse 32, John said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and abiding on Jesus. Now, I don't know exactly how that appeared to John. I know what he described it as. And I know that he didn't say that the Spirit was like a dove. He said it descended from heaven like a dove and it abode on Jesus. Does that make you think back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, said, if you'll repent and be baptized, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This was immediately after Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and abiding on him. I don't know what that looked like. But here's what I do know. That spirit that John saw is the same spirit that you and I reject, refuse, resist, and try to push out of our lives every single day. It's the same spirit. Now, what do you think of that? My topic this morning is Acts Against the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful to be a part of this series. I'm thankful for the guys that have came before me, and I'm thankful for the guys that, that are still to come. Yet I, I think they've done an out, outstanding job on this topic. And as nearly every one of them say, has said, this is a big topic. And, and every one of these guys has dug into this topic and tried to get the most that they could get out of it to benefit us all and to help us learn about the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is, I suppose, shrouded in mystery. I suppose it's the one thing that, about the Godhead, the Trinity, that we, uh, we think is mystified. And I don't think God intended for that. I think we've made it that way. Sometimes we've made it appear like a sledgehammer or a locomotive. It hits hard. It's not really true. Sometimes we've made it appear, well, I don't even know if I've got it. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know anything about it. I don't understand if I've even got it. God said, if you're a Christian, you've got it. That's what God said. So I want us to consider this topic a little while this morning. See what we can glean about it. See what we can understand about it. You know, it's necessary to have an understanding about the Holy Spirit in order to live a Christian life. If we don't understand anything about it, we can't live a Christian life. So it's very important. The Bible says in John 16, verse 13, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. But he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you. Things to come. When, we, when you receive the Holy Spirit, 
upon repentance and baptism, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, God gives you a gift. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. He gives it to you. So, you might say that within the Christian abides the Holy Spirit. You might say that our body is a temple and within that temple abides the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit abides in the temple of chance and Alexis. The Holy Spirit abides in the temple of Brit and Caressa. The Holy Spirit abides in the temple of Jasmine and Ethan. Every one of us. The Holy Spirit abides in that temple. Now, you may say, "I, I just can't wrap my head around that. How can that be? It's true. Look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? If you've been baptized, if you've repented and been baptized and you're a child of God, the Holy Ghost is within you. That's what Paul said. He backed up what Peter said was going to happen in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. But I want you to look at what else he said. Which ye have of God. Where'd it come from? God. God gave it to you. Now is there any doubt about that? If you don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, know that. Understand that. Even if it is a little hard to wrap your head around, Paul said, what? Don't you people know this? Don't you understand it? So I ask you the same question today. Don't you understand it? If nothing else, don't you understand that? God promised it. Paul said that he delivered it. Paul told the Corinthians, it has been delivered to you. That promise has been fulfilled to you. So if we know that's true, and we believe it is, wouldn't we want to desire the maximum benefit from the Holy Spirit dwelling within us? Wouldn't we want to avoid anything that might make the Holy Spirit unhappy, uncomfortable, or anything else within us and make, us, make him want to say, I've got to leave here. I can't be here anymore. Wouldn't we want to avoid that? So today we're going to look at some of the sins or offenses which are committed against the Holy Spirit and in some cases the effect that they have on the Holy Spirit. According to the scriptures, he can be blasphemed, he can be resisted, he can be grieved, he can be lied to, and he can be quenched. And that's just the ones that I pulled off of the top of my head immediately. There are others as well. These are the ones we're going to look at. And you can see we got a big list. we got a lot of ground to cover. So we're going to have to keep the, keep the foot on the pedal, so to speak. So, let's just address the elephant in the room. This is the one everybody's got their mind on. This is the one everybody's worried about. This is the one that everybody thinks at some point in the time, have I done that? What, what do I do if I have done that? And I think you're going to find out that I don't think it should be the one that we're so focused on. But we are, so we're just going to get it out of the way. And we're going to address it right off. Matthew 12, chapter 12, 
verse 22 and 37, Mark 3, 22 through 30, and Luke chapter 12, verse 10, Luke says very little about it. He says nothing about it that Matthew and Mark don't say. Mark says just a little bit about it that's not in the, in the book of Matthew. So if you'd like to get your Bible and read along with us, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in Matthew chapter 12. That's where the most information about sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. We'll have the verses up here, and I'll be highlighting a few of those, but if you're more comfortable having that in front of you where you can jump back and forth, we'll be doing that some as well. <clears throat> I suppose that one of the reasons that this topic is so concerning to people is because of what Jesus said about it. And that is the fact that it won't be forgiven. It'll never be forgiven. Well, that's a pretty good reason to be concerned about it. That's a fair concern that we might have. Like I said, I guess most everyone has asked themselves whether they've done this. Now, I know many of you, because I've talked to many of you, I know many of you know exactly what this is. But I'm assuming that we have some that may not, and, and I know we have some young people, and maybe, maybe they haven't been taught completely on this so we're going to we're going to charge into it and see what we can find out about the about the sin against the holy Sp holy ghost now I, I wish i could tell you i'm going to answer every possible question you have but i'm not i can't i don't have all the answers that satisfy me so what we're going to do is we're going to get into the bible and we're going to see what the bible tells us about it what we can glean from it and we're going to let that satisfy us Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 through 30, 32, we'll begin in verse 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Verse 32 says basically the same thing. And so, whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. That's a reason for concern. That's a legitimate reason for concern. Well, the word of topic here is blasphemy or blasphemia, as the Greek word is. It's vilification, especially against God. Now, you may notice that we've got a number two here instead of a number one. Why is that? Because there's another definition to this word that we'll get to a little bit later. But in the context of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, we're dealing with this one. Impious and reproachful speech injurious to divine majesty. That's the definition of the Holy Spirit. Now, that definition is lacking a little bit, and I think you'll see that as we go on. But, but on the other hand, it is factual. That is what it is. So even though all sin proceeds out of the heart of man, this is a sin that is committed with speech, with the mouth. Reproachful, impious speech, injurious to divine mate. It's something you say. Now, I think there's a, another part. In fact, I know there's another part, a little more darker, sinister part to this sin that has a, also has a part as well as a speech, a part that also comes out of the heart of man. And I'll point that out to you as we go along. I want you to notice that. <clears throat> so the first thing I want you to notice is that this is not just blasphemy in general. 
You know, there is a, just a general term of blasphemy. Now, Paul told Timothy in his letter to Timothy, and I thank Christ Jesus, <clears throat> our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who? Who? Who's he speaking of? Paul. Me. Paul. Paul. I was a blasphemer. I was before a blasphemer and persecutor and injurious. Paul confesses that blasphemy was something that he was caught up in. He said, I was guilty of it, but it wasn't to the Holy Ghost. His blasphemy was toward Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Paul didn't commit blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. He blasphemed Jesus. And Jesus said, that'll be forgiven. Now notice what Paul said to Timothy, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. I got mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. So when we're dealing about the sin of blasphemy, many times it's done ignorantly. You know, that makes it hard for someone who is not a Christian, someone who has not been converted, an unbeliever, it's hard for them to commit because they're, they're ignorant. And I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a terrible term. They just don't know about Jesus. Maybe they don't know about the Holy Spirit. It's because of their unbelief. So it becomes obvious immediately that this sin of blasphemy that will never be forgiven is unique. It's different. It's in a class by itself, you might say. Now, to understand this sin and how it's committed, we need to consider the context in the scripture which, which it's contained. And uh, I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31 a word. Wherefore? Now, what do we do when we see the word wherefore? It means we got to back up. We got to go. We got to go back in the scriptures. Sometimes we have to go a long ways back, and in this case, we got to go quite a ways back. But we got to back up to understand what we're talking here. So we're going to begin in Matthew chapter twelve, verse twenty-two through thirty-seven. If that's where you want to get your Bibles at, <clears throat> and here. Matthew writes that one was bought, brought to him, one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he, who, Jesus, he, Jesus, healed him. Insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. So I want to ask you a question. Good thing or bad thing? I think if you ask the guy that was healed, he'd say it was a good thing. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But that's going to come into question here in a minute. This is a good thing. Verse 23, and all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? Good thing or bad thing? That's a good thing, right? No doubt about it. But when the Pharisees, verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow, who? Jesus. This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Good thing or bad thing? That's not good. The Pharisees were making an accusation. 
Verse 25, and Jesus knew their thoughts. Now, I told you a minute ago that there was a darker, more sinister part to this sin. Here it is. That's why I've got it highlighted. Jesus knew their thoughts. Now, why would they say, why would, why would the writer write that? I'm going to tell you because what they said and what they thought didn't parallel. It, it, it didn't mesh. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And we'll, we'll see that a little bit later on. But because Jesus knew what they were thinking and he knew what they said, we got a problem now. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Here's another interesting thing that, that the writer says. It's not something Jesus said. It's the words of Jesus. He said, if I, by Satan, cast out devils, who do your children cast them out by? Who do they say they cast them out by? Now we see that uh, there were others that actually had this ability. There were others that claimed to have this ability were a little weak in this regard. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 38, And John answered him, saying, Master, speaking to Jesus, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him, because he followeth not us. Now what happened here? Well, John said, We came across this fellow, Jesus, and uh, he was casting out devils in your name. But he wasn't with us. He wasn't part of our group. So we told him to quit it. Stop doing that. Now I want you to notice what Jesus said. Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. What did Jesus say? Leave him alone. He's got to be one of mine. If he can cast out devils and he does it in my name and he's successful at it, He's one of mine. Leave him alone. Now, I suppose Jesus knew who this was, but the, the disciples didn't. But they didn't know everything. They're kind of like us. There's some things we don't know, and we think we do. Now, keep that in mind as we notice another group in Acts chapter 19, verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, who's this? These are Jews that wander about from place to place. They were Jews. They were very possibly related to these Pharisees that we're talking about right now. Certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure thee by, whom, by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and the chief of the priest, which did so. These guys had some authority, or so they thought. And they went about from place to place trying to cast out devils. And they used the name of Jesus. And they used the name of Paul by saying, Paul used the name of Jesus also. But notice what happened. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? 
And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Jesus I know. Paul I know. I don't know who you are. They didn't do too good. They didn't fare too well. But they used the name of Jesus. And they used the name of Paul. Claiming that they could. Jesus could cast out demons demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. So could Paul. So could the apostles. So could others that went unnamed. But these guys couldn't do it. So, knowing that, why wouldn't these Pharisees accept Jesus as being a, being a powerful person with the power of the Holy Spirit? So let's go back to what Jesus was teaching, verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Do you know what you're looking at? Do you know what you're seeing? Or else how can one enter into the strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. And he that is not with me is against me, <clears throat> and he that gathereth not with me scattereth broad. So, there in verse 30, was this fellow back in Mark chapter 9, verse 38, was he with Jesus? Apparently so. Because he could cast out demons in Jesus' name. Were the sons of Sceva with Jesus? Not so much. Now what should that have told those Pharisees? What should they have understood by that? Verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven in him, forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. Verse 33, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known. By his fruit. Now, if Jesus could cast out demons, and that was a good thing, if the apostles could cast out demons, and that was a good thing, if others could cast out demons, and that was a good thing, but the sons of Sceva shouldn't, couldn't, what does that tell you about the tree and the fruit? Which is good and which is evil? Which is good and which is bad? Who's good and who's corrupt? Verse 34. O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? Or out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh? A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt... Thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, what were the Pharisees saying? They could have been supporting Jesus. They could have said that this man is the Messiah, and that he is from God, and we need to follow him. And they would have been justified. But what were they saying? 
He's got a devil. He does this by the power of the devil. And they were condemned. Now, I know probably, hopefully, this has been clear to you. But I just want to recap. I want to take the time to recap what we've learned. First of all, Jesus had cast out a devil from a man who was both blind and dumb. And the result of it was the man could speak and hear. That's a good thing. The people saw it and they began to believe on Jesus. That's a good thing. That's what it was designed for. That's what the miracle was about to start with. So that people would believe in Jesus that he was the Messiah. But verse 24, the Pharisees didn't want that. It took away from their authority. They didn't want that. They didn't want the people to believe on Jesus. They didn't deny that a miracle had been performed. They just said that miracle came from the power of Satan. That's what they said. Verse uh, number four, Jesus destroys their argument by pointing out that if Satan was behind the miracle, he was casting out himself, he was divided against himself, and his kingdom could not stand. He then points out that by saying Satan was behind the miracle, it would also be true of their children. Now that had to hurt, but it didn't stop them. Next, he points out that the truth of the matter is that he was casting out devils by the Spirit of God in verse 28. <clears throat> he showed them then that his, in, in the process of spoiling the house of Satan, the strong man's house, he had to do that because he was binding the strong man. He says that those who oppose, are opposed to his work are not with him but are in fact against them. And I think we can see where that happened. Then he states that this sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And finally, he tells them that they should judge the tree by its fruits. And if the fruit is good, casting out devils, casting out demons, healing the, the lame and the blind, if that's good, then the tree is good. If the fruit's good, the tree is good. He then points out the reason why they made such an evil judgment. Because of the words that they had spoken and the evil thoughts of their heart. And he said they'll be judged by that. So here we see an actual case of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It was committed by these Pharisees at this time. They were desperate to destroy Jesus' ministry. They were desperate for people not to believe Jesus. They looked at a good deed and they said that can only be from the power of Satan. They tried to convince others. They knew better, but they did it anyway. Let me say that again. They knew better, but they did it anyway. Now you might be thinking, oh, surely, surely these guys didn't know what they were doing. Surely it was a misunderstanding. Well, let's see. John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. You notice what, who Nicodemus is? He's a Pharisee. He's just like these guys. Not only that, he's a ruler of the Jews. This guy's kind of a big deal. He has some authority. The same, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. 
Nicodemus said the quiet part out loud, didn't he? Do you notice he came by night? <laughs> there was a lot of other Pharisees didn't want him to do that. And he, he probably didn't want them to know that he had done that. But he comes to him, the, Jesus by night and said, We know that thou art a teacher come from God because no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He said what none of the rest of them wanted anybody to know. Now I want you to notice something else. He said, we know. Who's we? Those other Pharisees. Those ones that were denying Jesus and saying that his power came from Satan. He said, we know. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. What were they saying? No, you've got a devil in you. <laughs> you see the problem? Do you see the problem that Jesus had with this? What they knew and what they said didn't line up. Jesus knew what they knew. He understood what they knew. And he knew what they were saying. <clears throat> Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's a problem. It was in that day. In the context of what Jesus teaches through these verses that we've read and what we know about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we find that it is speaking against the Holy Spirit in an ungodly and reproachable manner, attributing his power and good works to that of the devil. Jesus knew it. He knew what they were doing. He knew what they were thinking. And he said it can't be forgiven. Now I want you to notice one more thing before we move on. Jesus said neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now that may seem like a little bit of a strange phrase. The world here, the word world here properly means age. So when Jesus said neither in this world, he says neither in this age, which was the mosaical, under the mosaical law or in the mosaical dispensation of time. So we understand by that that when he uses it again, neither in the world to come, he's talking about the Christian age or the Christian dispensation of time. Now that may cause a little uneasiness to you because what we were seeing doesn't seem like it would happen today. But here Jesus says that it's possible that this happens after the Christian age starts. So what does that mean? Well, you know, there are several things that happened at the beginning of the Christian age. Matthew pointed out some of those things. Brandon pointed out a lot of those things. There are a lot of things that happened that don't happen any longer why is that Brandon explained to us that miracles still occurred at the beginning of the Christian age and they did we, we find that in scripture we know that to be true but 1 Corinthians 13 and 8 says that only charity only love is the one that doesn't fail prophecies the scriptures say fail tongues cease that's what the scriptures say 
Knowledge, knowledge of miraculous gifts will vanish away. He even goes on in verse 10 to tell us when that's going to happen. But then that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall pass away. So you see, in the 70 or so years between the ascension of Jesus back into heaven and the perfecting of the Word of God and it being written down in a written form for all of us to see all of the things that the Holy Ghost had for us to see. You remember Matthew talked about that the Comforter came and reminded them and gave them all the things that they need to write down. And so now they've done it. In that 70-year period, a lot of things stopped. A lot of things ceased. So is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit one of them? I'm not going to answer that for you. I'll let you decide for yourself. But I will ask you a few questions. When you read about the works of the Holy Spirit and you see the written word of how Jesus performed miracles and cast out demons, have you ever thought about that power had to be from Satan? I doubt that thought's ever entered your mind. I seriously do. The fact that you're concerned, knowledgeable about this topic, you're concerned about it, that you you don't want to do it, you want to make sure you don't ever commit that sin, tells me that you probably haven't, and you probably never will. When we looked at what was involved, it's very unlikely that a Christian would ever do that. See, it's not a sin that was ignorantly committed. The Pharisees knew exactly what they were thinking and exactly what they were doing. And they did it anyway. But there are sins that we commit today, problems that we have in our lives today, that are problematic for our spiritual life. And they are acts that we commit against the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we do it every day. And I think we need to focus on those things. So we're going to go through a few of them. The first of which is resisting the Holy Spirit. John writes in Acts chapter, or it's recorded in Acts chapter 7 that Stephen was speaking to a Jewish council. You know who that Jewish council was? Probably some Pharisees. Maybe some Sadducees too. Maybe both. But it's probably some or the other at least. Right before they stoned him, he was speaking to them and this is what he said. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. You always resisting the Holy Spirit. Now the meaning of the word resist here is to oppose, simply to oppose. You do always oppose the Holy Spirit. So, you know, you can even be someone who has never received salvation. I'm going to tell you when you were created by God and he breathed into you the into your nostrils the breath of life you received a part of him that made you alive and animated and that spirit that is within you 
always wants to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. But we resist. We resist. So you can have a person here, you may be a person who hears part of the Word of God. And, and maybe it pricks you in some way. You know, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. Now, what, what is that? Is that a sledgehammer or is that a tiny little pinprick? What is it? I don't know. But they were pricked in their hearts. And an unbeliever can be pricked in his hearts when he hears the word of God. And he may not know what to do about it. But what is he going to do? Is he going to resist? Or is he going to want to hear more? Maybe you even hear more. Maybe you understand that there are things that you do that you really shouldn't do. But I just really don't want to stop doing it. Maybe you think, I can't, I can't stop doing it. You may realize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, a sacrifice for sins. You may hear the gospel, and in many ways, you understand that you need, you need that. You need it in your life. But you refuse. You refuse to submit. You refuse to humble yourself before God. The Holy Spirit's not within you. I'm just going to tell you. You haven't been given that gift. But you also may be a Christian. You may have repented and been baptized. You may have that Holy Spirit within you and you're not listening to him. Maybe you begin your Christian walk. Maybe you find things in the word that you've got to change about yourself that you do not want to change. Because you like the way you are. The spirit inside you is imploring you to change. He's using the word of God as a tool to teach you that you need to change. What do you do? The pleasures of the world are strong. The call of the world is strong. The flesh is weak. And you refuse to submit. You are resisting the Holy Spirit of God. And the tragedy of this is that in either case, whether you're an unbeliever or whether you are a believer, and you resist the Holy Spirit, the longer you do it, the harder it is to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, another part of resisting the Spirit is inferred by Stephen again in Acts chapter 12, going back to verse 51, 52. As your fathers did, so do ye. Now listen to what Stephen says. Which of the prophets have your fathers, have not your fathers persecuted? You know how the Holy Spirit came to people back in the old law? Prophets delivered it. That's how they got it. Stephen said, you persecuted them. And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. That's resisting the Holy Spirit. Today, the Holy Spirit speaks 
to us through the Word of God. What do you do when you're reading it? When you're hearing it? What do you do with it? We've seen in other studies in this series that the Bible was written under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So when you resist it, when you fail to apply the Word of God to you, what are you doing? You're resisting the Holy Spirit. Would you stand up and slap the Holy Spirit of God in the face? Because that's what you do. Grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a guide, a director of our lives. He teaches us how we should walk and, and what way we should walk. You know, parents are the guide and directors of their children. And they teach them and they give them advice. And they try to direct them in a way that they'll be safe and, and, and become good people and good, good, uh, good Christians. And sometimes that child acts in a way that is against that guidance and that direction of their parents, don't they? Parents know what I'm talking about. How do you feel when that happens? You're grieved, aren't you? You're grieved. How do you think the Holy Spirit feels when we go against the advice and the direction and the guidance that he gives us. When we act contrary to his counsel, we're grieving him. Same way. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Don't do it. It's a warning. Don't do it. The meaning of the word grieve here is to be in heaviness, to distress, to be sad, cause grief, be in heaviness, to be sorrowful, to make sorry. Now, we've seen this over and over throughout the Bible. Same word is used in many places in Scripture. When the rich young ruler realized what he was up against and he departed from Jesus, it says he was very sorrowful. He went away sorrowful. The disciples in the upper room the Bible says, became exceeding sorrowful when Jesus explained to them that one of them would betray him. They were grieved. But I want you to notice something else in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. That Spirit of God whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. That's something else he does for us. We're sealed. Whereby, there's that word again. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're talking about the Holy Spirit. He serves as a seal. Whatever he seals, he protects. What do you do when you get an envelope and that envelope is, is sealed? The inner parts of that envelope, whatever's in that envelope, is protected. It's sealed. Until that seal is broken. When that seal's broken, it's not protected anymore. What happens when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? That seal's been destroyed. That seal's been destroyed. When it happens, it produces sorrow and heaviness in the Holy Spirit, the same as a parent might feel when their child disobeys them. 
So in the context in which the words grieve not the spirit is found, the Bible names several offenses that can cause this immediately after. We're going to go to Ephesians 4 verse 31. And the Bible says there, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now what are we looking at here? Well, we know what bitterness is. Wrath and anger are the exact same thing. It's just mentioned twice. Clamor, what is that? Well, that's a loud voice crying out, if you will, with, a, with an intent to cause a disturbance. We'd call that a riot today, wouldn't we? The Bible says that grieves the Holy Spirit. But the one I especially want you to notice is evil speaking. What is that? What is evil speaking? Same word. Same word used in blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But the look at the look at the first definition. Slander, detraction, speech injurious to another's good name. So when you speak against someone, maybe even you try to bring out some of their weak points, of which I've got many. And you speak evil of that and you try to deride them and embarrass them and hurt them by doing that. What are you doing? You're blaspheming. Same word. The gospel, the word of God was intended to help, not hurt. We need to use it to encourage and lift up, not hurt. We find this harmful speech throughout the Bible. Sometimes it's used in reviling, backbiting, tail-bearing, gossip. I'm sure there are others as well. When you see that type of speech, just think that you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. So to sum it up, Grieving the Holy Spirit is to act contrary to his direction and counsel, especially in our speech and our actions, and cause him sorrow and sadness. Is that something you want to do to that gift that was given to you when you became a Christian? I hope when we think about it in this way, we don't want to do that. We don't ever want to be guilty of that. Lying to the Holy Spirit. Almost left this one out. And the more I looked at it, I can't leave that out. That's, that's too interesting. Lying to the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, we're told of Ananias and Sapphira. The Bible says there in verse 3 that Peter said that they lied to the Holy Ghost. We don't do that, do we? Surely we don't do that. I don't have to explain the story to you, but but you understand what they did. There was a man named Barnabas that sold a piece of land, and he gave it all to the apostles to be distributed however it needed to be done. Ananias and Sapphira saw that, and they saw how people reacted to that, and they said, I want to be adored like that. I want people to slap me on the back like that. I want them to give me an attaboy. So they had a piece of land and they sold it 
but they didn't want to give it all up. Well, what they didn't know was that wasn't a problem. Not giving it all up wasn't a problem. But when Peter asked him, is, is this the price of all the land? He, yeah, it's the whole thing. We're giving it all. He lied to the Holy Spirit. And he was dead. His wife came in. And Peter asked her the same question. She gave the same answer. And she was dead. Just like that. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice that there's a change here from that time. This happened under the law of Christ. This happened after Jesus died on the cross. This happened after Jesus ascended to the heaven. And they lied to the Holy Spirit and they died immediately. You don't see that happen today, do you? People lie to the Holy Spirit all the time, but they don't die immediately like they did in that time. Something changed, didn't it? So what did they do exactly? We know what they literally did, but what was their sin? And I can only try to do it as simply as this. <clears throat> they wanted to be praised for some, doing something that they did not do. That's as simple as I know how to put it. They wanted to be praised for doing something that they did not do. So, when you get a text from the church and it says, pray for Sean, he's on his way to Nigeria. What do you do? Are you busy right now? Do you think briefly, well, I hope everything turns out okay. You see, that's not really, that, that doesn't seem great, but that's not really a problem. I mean, Matthew, you might have an old bronchy horse and have a, a stupid heifer tied on the end of it. You might be a little busy right at that time. Do you get back to it later? Do you promise to do that? If you don't, the next time you see Sean, we say, boy, we were praying for you. We hoped everything turned out well. Are you lying to the Holy Spirit? Zane led a song when we started service today. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. How long was it before you saying, I wonder how long this is going to go on? What is it? Are you here to worship or are you here to go home? Which is it? When you see people on the street next day, the next week and they ask you if you went to church on Sunday, you bet I did. I wouldn't miss it. We're going to gather around the Lord's table here in a few minutes. If I shut up and sit down anyway. When we begin that, and whoever's in charge of it gets up here, what are you going to think? Are you going to think, man, he's going to go on and on and on. Are you going to think, man, it's about over now. As soon as we get this done with, we're out of here. Somebody asks you about the Lord's Supper, are you going to say, we take it every Sunday. We wouldn't miss it. It's that important. You're not lying to me. 
You're lying to the Holy Spirit. You see, it's a problem. It's a problem for us today. You know, a few years ago, there was a, a group of leadership, a, a leadership meeting, and there was a bunch of leadership there, and we were addressing this very problem. We were talking about it anyway. We weren't addressing it, but we were talking about the problem. And there was a phrase come to light about this attitude. And that phrase is that we come here and we eat it in haste, prepared to flee. <laughs> yep. We've done it. We sure have done it. Consider lying to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's devastating to your spiritual life. What does the Holy Spirit think when we do things like that? <clears throat> Quenching the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> yeah, I'm in the right place. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus said, this people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If you're one of those, then you are guilty of lying to the Holy Spirit. Now we'll move on to quenching the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19. Very simple scripture. That's the whole scripture. Quench not the Spirit. Another negative command. Don't do it. Don't do that. Do you know that the thought of the phrase, quench not the spirit, is not anywhere else mentioned in the Bible? Right here. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19. The command not to do it. But we know what quench is, don't we? When I think about quench, I, I usually think about a fire. Because we quench a fire. We take water, we can put on it, we can smother it, whatever. We can extinguish the flame. And that's what we do sometimes. <clears throat> we consider fire to be useful for two things, light and heat. Both of those are good things. Quenching the spirit can be used in a positive or not quenching the spirit, but just the term quenching, just the idea of quenching, can be a positive or a negative. Ephesians 6 and 16. I didn't give you that a while ago, but that, that's, the, that's the meaning. Ephesians 6 and 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith shall be, ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It's a good thing. Faith can quench the fiery darts of the wicked. That's a good thing. But many times in scriptures, the Holy Spirit is symbolized by fire. So it's fitting that the word quench would be used as a problem in that regard. And in regard to our attitudes and our actions toward the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit is simply saying, no. No. I don't want to do that. I don't want to listen to that. I don't want it. 
That's quenching the Spirit. The Spirit speaks in two ways. When we read the Word of God, we see things that we need to do, changes we need to make, the Spirit is speaking to us. When we hear the Word of God taught, the Spirit is speaking to us. When we hear it preached, the Spirit is speaking to us. The Spirit's message is like a light. The Bible says in Psalms 119 and 105, the word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. That's what the Spirit of God is like. It brings light to it. The Holy Spirit illuminates the message of God. Paul wrote in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13, Now ye have received not the Spirit of God. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Ye, Ye have not received... Let me start over. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God. That ye might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Comparing spiritual things to spiritual. Not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God. Now, the reason that Paul wrote these words, he's fixing to tell us. Verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. Flesh can't do it. Flesh does not understand spirit. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You have to have the Spirit of God within you to be able to understand the things of God. In our hearts, in our minds, we must become spiritual beings to understand it. We cannot discern it. Without it. And the Spirit lights the way. The Spirit shows us the way. Through the Word of God. If we don't accept and apply what the Spirit of God is teaching us. When we read and study the Word of God. We won't see those life changing things that we must do. Those changes we must make. We don't see the importance of it. We won't have that burning fire of dedication. To serve God and to serve our fellow man. If we don't apply the scriptures, we're quenching the spirit and the light and the heat are going out. And you can't see it because the light's not there anymore. Do you see the importance of the spirit of God? If you're a Christian today, The Bible says that you have the Holy Spirit within you. The Spirit of life is within you. God gave it to you. When you repented and were baptized, He gave it to you. It's a gift that He gave to you. We know that Jesus said that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. We read about it in scriptures. And and we're scared of it. Good, we ought to be. That's a good thing. 
But if we resist, grieve, lie to, or quench the spirit that we have been given for God, we're losing it. We're losing it. Pretty soon it'll be gone. We'll be lost, empty, alone, without the seal of the Holy Spirit protecting us, no longer guiding us, no longer helping us. And you know what the scary thing about all that is? If you consistently allow these things to be a part of your life, you know what your destination is? The same destination as if you blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The same result. I hope that's not what we want. You see, we can overcome these sins by doing the exact opposite to quenching the Spirit. In a week or so, uh, Brother Jace will hopefully give you teaching on that matter, how to be filled with the Spirit. But this morning, if you need the gift of the Spirit of life, what are you waiting for? What's slowing you down? Let us help you this morning receive that Spirit of life. If you feel the Spirit has gotten dim within you, if the fire is going out, Let's, let's pray for you. Let's put all our effort in and that, let's light that fire again. Let's get that, that burning heat going again so that you can feel and see the blessings that you get from the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.